Hello and welcome to the Culture and Politics Show, where we discuss any and every topic or issue, from sports to science, from business to humanity, from technology to education, and everything in between. No matter what your views on each are, we will be engaging in civil, rational discussion in a manner that we can grow and learn about other people's views and perspectives. In my short 20 years, I have found that too often, people I know or interact with shy away from complicated issues or controversial topics, particularly when it comes to politics and or cultural problems of the day. While this is understandable, I find that it limits our ability to interact and deepen our friendships with each other, especially in this age of extreme polarization and self-created bubbles. That is my intention for this podcast, to break down those invisible barriers to communication set up by individuals and provide a way in which we can talk and disagree but articulate our opinions and ideas intellectually without the personal and emotional attacks. I hope that you find the following episodes to be informative but also thought-provoking. Hello, my name is Matthew DeVore and I'm here with the Turning Point USA Cedarville University President Patrick Sonnesay. What's up, guys? My name is Patrick. I like Matthew said. I'm excited to be on the podcast today. We're uh, we're gonna be talking about some some pretty interesting issues, and we're uh, we're excited to get into it. But yeah, I'm the president of Turning Point USA. Um, we're actually recording this from Cedarville University, and uh, we're we're pretty excited to get a little bit of commentary because there's never really been something like this on campus here, where you know students just talk a little bit about politics and just kind of about some of the current issues of our day. Yeah. My vision for this podcast is anything is on the table. Any discussion, any controversy, you have an opinion that is slightly different than anybody else's, I want to hear it, and we can feel free to talk about it. Maybe we could have Kanye on, and he could be extra Oh extra, yeah, extra sauce on here. I mean, anybody from Kanye <laughs> to Andrew Tate. <laughs> yes, indeed. But, <laughs> that was a joke. We will not yes, be inviting no, Kanye. No. We will not mm-hmm. be having Kanye. We just own Kanye. Okay. Well, Patrick had an per- uh, interesting article he wanted to bring up, so... Guess, let's get started. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Matthew. So, uh, so we'll we're sort of just gonna kind of have a little bit of conversation about this. So, um, so recently uh, today at uh, around four, uh, Biden took a sort of swipe at Second Amendment supporters. And Matthew, maybe you can sort of jump in here. And he said, "Quote: You need F-15s to take on the federal government." Um, so, I mean, I think that uh, the Vietnam War would maybe have something to say about uh, small unconventional warfare. Uh, small power taking on a great power conflict throughout history are small uh, small groups of individuals having not F-15s have frequently destroyed larger powers, but, you know, I, I, that's, so that's an interesting statement from our illustrious president. Um, he said, uh, Biden said, quote, I love my right-wing friends who talk about the tree of liberty is water of the blood of patriots. He said uh, that that was a quote from Thomas Jefferson, you know, our one of our founding fathers. Um, it's pretty interesting how Democrats like to dump all over our founding fathers. But um, he said, I loved uh, I love my right wing friends. Uh, if you need to work on about taking. OK, hang on. Uh, I think our president messed up his English here. But um, if you need to work about taking on the federal government, you need some F-15s. You don't need an AR-15. Uh, Fox News says the quote Biden refers to dates back from Thomas Jefferson, who wrote in a letter, the tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. Um, yeah, so uh, he was the author of uh, the Declaration of Independence. Uh, Matthew, you got any any, uh, any thoughts on that there? Uh, first of all, it's interesting that he would um, 
make this statement, I guess it shows his lack of knowledge of history. I mean, being 80, practically 80 years old, <laughs> it, it makes sense that he would We're all have... getting a little up there. <laughs> yeah. It makes sense that he would not necessarily have the greatest grasp of uh, his, history. Um, but it's also sad to think that you would make that kind of statement. I mean, that's kind of what we did as a country. We said to Britain, if you want to take it, you want this land, you're going to take it over our dead bodies. Yeah. And we fought two wars of, um, with the British to defend that, and we've been strong for 250 years. Yeah. And if you take any big government trying to take over any land, like you mentioned the Vietnam War, I think it's a great example. Of we t- It took us, not just us, but us in France to try to suppress the Vietnam, um, Vietnamese, and we couldn't do it. And it shows that you, in order to do that, you have to basically t- either wipe out all insurgents and anybody connected with them. Because I talked with my brother my brother on this topic a lot in like the Iraq war, Afghanistan, is every time we, we've gone into places and tried to supplant um, Muslim extremists or communists, we almost always never happens entirely mm-hmm. because any person you take out, they're gonna have a brother or a, a son or a niece or, an, mm-hmm. or a nephew who's willing to fight and die for them. Even if it's not for just causes, they're gonna be like, hey, you took out my family member, you took out my friend, I'm gonna fight you now. So, so actually, I think I think this also merits a um, merits a pretty interesting comment here. So, actually, um, for for those of you who aren't aware, federal gun legislation only started in 1938. Now, I don't think that all you, you know. I don't know what Matthew thinks here, but I don't think that all we should be able to own any sort of weapons. I know several several of my friends have have sort of argued, you know, facetiously. Um, that we should be able to own F-15s and nuclear bombs, etc. Um, I personally, I think that the Second Amendment provides for an individual right to bear arms, but there, I do think that there is a certain limit there to where you can't own weapons of mass destruction. I think it gets a little fuzzy when you start talking about weapons of war. Um, I mean, I, I could, I. I sort of understand the argument for banning so-called assault rifles, even though that isn't necessarily a category of of a firearm. Uh, that's not really a valid category of firearm, I would say. Um, but the federal gun legislation only started in 1938 with the with the, with this uh, with the National Firearms Act of, of 1938 here, and um, and there I think I think there's this common narrative on the left where. We have a lot of these people that are constantly advocating for weapons regulation on the basis of the statement, well, there's always been gun legislation in the United States um, because the Second Amendment affords for a well-regulated militia. Just because something is well-regulated doesn't mean that you get to regulate it out of existence. Yeah. And anytime you try to regulate anything... There's always going to be a black market for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the left uses this as in um, the abortion issue, which we can touch on later. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you try to regulate something, people are just going to be like, fine, if you're not going to let me do it legally, I'm just going to do it illegally. I think if you look at Chicago, yeah. is a great example of their... The Chicago and the state of Illinois in general, they passed a bill that's, um, I think, coming into effect, if not already or is coming in, is going to be in effect um, soon, this, later this month, is their ban... Um, no, take it back. You got this. The guns, I'll check that up later. But they, they look at Chicago. Um, they 
have tried to regulate guns out of existence and they have one of the highest crime rates and homicide rates in the entire nation and have had that for years upon years. And every time they try yeah. to crack down more, it doesn't seem to help. So I think rather than mm-hmm. limiting the amount of guns that are there, say, hey, if you were to be a gun, you need to be responsible. And I think that, that can get kind of dicey too. Um, but uh, you try to regulate anything, it's not going yeah. to help. It doesn't work. No, well, I would maybe take issue with that argument actually a little bit because I think that um, I think that you I think that you can regulate things, and I think it is actually prudent to regulate things, even if you can't even if you can't necessarily fully enforce that regulation. Now, I do think that there is a danger that our federal government and um, and and the individual states have gotten into where it's like, well we're going to have so many complex laws that it's hard to keep track of of what's legal and not legal. I mean, you have the marijuana issue, especially, which has been legal at the state level for many years and has been banned by the federal government. But people still end up people still end up participating in activities which um, which you know they're smoking marijuana and, and taking marijuana, and it is it is still a federally uh, federally controlled substance. So. Um, um, I, I think that when you're talking about things like marijuana, which have been so societally accepted that um, that you know we we essentially have to make it legal now. Um, however, I think that things like when you're talking about things like prostitution, even though people still do de facto do prostitution, I would argue that that's basically what we have on OnlyFans and a lot of these a lot of these so-called adult entertainment sites. Um, that, in my view, that is essentially prostitution. You're selling your body for um, for sexual activity, and then um, and somehow because it's simply video, that's different. I do think that there is there is a role the federal government has to play there in regulating that, even if they can't totally control it. Yeah. No, go ahead. No, sorry, <laughs> I didn't know if you had a comment. Yeah. No, go and for I, it. I agree. I think there's. There's a level that you you should regu- be regulating more um, moral actions. I think the hard part is trying to argue on a moral level or a level of economical slash financial. Because I think if you look at it like more um, morally, I think there's even more more um, bearing to regulating actions, especially like prostitution, because it is so detrimental both for the individual doing it and then for the society at large because it desensitizes um well, incentivizes people to um, pursue actions that are immoral, but also um, it. If you look at the pornography industry as a whole, it has crippled um, the help cripple the morality of our society in general. Um, men, both men and women, pursue sexual pleasures mm-hmm. and their desires rather than looking to. Um, act upon the desires in a just way or godly way which goes into another issue of how much you want god in society which yeah. you should want in you mm-hmm. need god um obviously well for sure but, yeah mm-hmm. but um how much is, do you want god to be so um in in the society that it, people feel like it's just rules and regulation um mm-hmm. being legal legalist rather than actually living it out because you want to and desire to yeah i mean but, um, and also, I'm, I'm sort of coming at this, again, from just, you know, a, a sort of student perspective, because, again, we are students here at Cedarville University. Um, I, I think that um, I would maybe take a little bit of an unpopular position, and I would say that I don't necessarily 
think that church and state should be totally and completely separated. I would argue I would argue that the church should should influence the state. Um, however, it should not go in reverse. The state should not be should not be sticking its nose in the church. I would say that you get a lot of really nasty, really nasty things. Um, one of the the one of the interesting stories I would say you see out of the Russian invasion of Ukraine is that you have the Russian Orthodox Church, um, which is partnering with the Russian government to forward its agenda. Um, and you pretty much see this throughout all of all authoritarian sort of authoritarian or sort of soft authoritarian governments you see this um you see see this in in hungary you see this um um in a lot of sort more eastern european countries where the state is is heavily involved in the operation of the church um it's that's not a good thing especially when you when you have spiritual backing for um when i would say a lot of a lot of crimes and regardless i don't think it's a good idea to have the to have the state involved with with church activities however i do think that there is um did you have a comment on that sorry i just no, saw you kind of looking like, like you were thinking that. yeah um the the uh, commonly what happens in the united states is there's this um there's this reference back to back to um back to a lot of the us's founding history where the United States um, was founded on this idea of the church and state. It was never actually, it was ne- never actually found in the Constitution. However, it was the phrase itself is derived from a letter written by Thomas Jefferson to Baptists in in Connecticut. Um, he he said uh, he said quote believing that y- believing with you that religion is a matter which lies solely between man and God that he owes account to none other for his faith or his worship that the legitimate powers of government reach actions only and not opinions i contemplate with sovereign reverence that act that act of whole american people which declared that their legislature make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof thus building a wall of separation between church and state that has nothing to say about how this how churches should influence the government and morality government mandated morality in and of itself while i would argue for a lean and small government in sort of a in sort of a libertarian economic way i i do have a problem when people start making arguments like well people should just be able to sort of do whatever they want because then the government can get used sort of against you I would argue. I would argue. Well, the government does have a, a certain role in moral issues. Like we don't allow, we wouldn't allow murder. And I do. I, I, I'm a little bit skeptical of the principle of non-aggression as well. Um, the idea that you can somehow measure in a so, sort of humanistic way if an action can, harms another person, because in aggregate, your your um, your the things that you do are by necessity going to quote-unquote harm someone else you buying a pair of shoes at the store you could argue that you're quote-unquote harming some kids in southeast uh southeast asia by those actions um you look like you have a couple thoughts i'll let you i'll let you sort of get into some of that i agree i agree with you a lot in um we shouldn't have the church shouldn't be or the state shouldn't be influencing the church um and i also agree that the church should influence the state um, how would you say that we do that, um, both as individual Christians, but also as a church as a whole? How do we influence the 
um, state to be like, hey, we mm-hmm. need to legislate certain things because of its moral implications on society yeah. or on the people? Well, I mean, obviously it's kind of a difficult... It's hard to sort of put into words, but you can sort of see it in action. I would argue that the church's role is really an advocacy role. Um, the, the church should be advocating for a lot of Christian principles. And I'm speaking from a conservative, Christian, evangelical perspective, um, which I'm sure a lot of our listeners will share. Um, the church should be influencing the the government to pursue things in line with Christian morality, I would argue. Not... Um, the, the church should be encouraging the government to take those steps without necessarily necessarily making it law. The government should, um, for instance, not encourage gay marriage, I would say. there should not The government should not be involved in marriage. However, the government does have a certain role, um, for instance, when it uses its marketing resources um, in, in health and human... Uh, Health and the Department of Health and Human Resources um, does provide education for individuals who may not be in a traditional religion. You sort of see the, the you see the language. You know what I mean. Yeah. Um, the the church has a role in that to say, well, we're not we're going to advocate against that, and we're going to maybe suggest people that would be better alternatives. I would say, you know, you know what I mean, because the state isn't just an entity that provides funding or makes things legal or illegal you know what i mean it's a government institution and ultimately government operates by by force so i would argue that that i would argue for for two things here one the church should be arguing for a small government i would say we should argue be arguing and this is pretty this is pretty clear we and again i'm I'm really making the argument for towards christians here Christians should be arguing for a small biblical government that's competent at what it does and leaves individuals the most autonomy possible, I would say. Secondly, the church should be advocating for principles in line with Christianity. And I would expect this from all religions, right? Islam should be advocating for the things that Islam believes. Hinduism should be advocating for the things that Hinduism believes, right? Not that I think that those things are correct, because I think that there are a lot of issues with Islamic morality. Okay, just yeah. as a Christian, I make exclusive claims about that. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't. I don't think that. I don't think that we should have a, a Muslim government here in the United States. But I would expect a Christian church to advocate for those types of principles. Um, and that's I would say where you get the best society from is really a an act a church that is active in the government in the in the in the realm of government you look like you have thoughts though you, yeah. you definitely look like you have no. thoughts no i definitely agree i think it's it's definitely challenging when you um when you want you want certain actions to be taken by individuals and citizens that you know are going to be beneficial for themselves and for society as whole but then also how do you balance how to trying to struggle with how to balance that with hey this is something you must do because even it is the best thing for you regardless of what you desire because i think our sinful nature is like there's certain actions and behaviors that we will choose regardless if it's right or wrong because it appeals yeah. to our sinful nature better more than not so you're um, saying like the problem of like potato chips like if if someone wants to eat potato chips but like we as a, we as a quote-unquote society even though i hate that phrase I, I try not to make generalizations about society as much as i can even though i just literally did but <laughs> um 
You're saying like the problem of like eating potato chips type thing, or did you have a specific sort of example in your mind? I mean, no, I think it's a great example because it's like, yeah. say, let's say potato chips are um, poisonous or um, could kill or potentially fatal. So as soon as you eat them, you will die. Now, right? As you, you'd say, okay, the best thing is for you not to eat those, mm-hmm. but I'm also not going to stop you. So how yeah. do you try to balance? Trying to balance that, hey, it's bad for you yeah. not to, but I'm not going to say, hey, you cannot. It's illegal yeah. for you to do it because well, it's your decision. Yeah. But. Well, there's there's a couple there's there's a couple exceptions I would say, and we're really going to kind of get into some complex territory with this. I would say so. So get ready. Um, so one, I would say the state has an interest in protecting the national security of the people. Okay, and so there's a couple things that you can't do as a United States citizen. You can't leak trade secrets to other countries. That's illegal, right? You can't take the intellectual property of a com- of of a company of an American company and leak it to the Chinese. Okay, that's that's illegal. Um, <laughs> no, you can't. No. Um, so you have that. So there's national security concerns, and there's also trade concerns. I would say you have to act in accordance with with um, with corporate ethics and and, and U.S. Uh, U.S. you know um, corporate operating law. Um, so you so you have national security concerns. That's sort of a smaller issue. I would say what we're really talking about is like what we're really talking about is individual action here, as opposed to like sort of a sort of a societal level issue. Should you be allowed to do things that harm you as an individual, um, as as an individual, even if um, e- even if even if um, even if they're not technically illegal, I would say that um, that you know the non-aggression principle is generally speaking useful up to a point, and again, it's hard to sort of map that point as ethics gets less and less clear. I would say it's pretty clear to to murder another person. Yes. I would say it's pretty clear to um, it, it's pretty clear that you shouldn't you know sell your body for sex. I would argue under under a sort of Christian morality perspective, it's pretty clear that that's that that's wrong. And it's I would also um, say that there's a lot of bad effects on society with that. If we're sort of using a broad definition of of of, of prostitution, for instance, um, like pornography. Um, only fans. You're selling your body for sex. That's how I'm defining pornography. What, what were you gonna say? Did you have okay. something? No, I guess that's perfect. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh. so and and I would say that as you get less and less clear on the ethics, so there's really three circles. Um, of Christian morality. Of or, or, I'm using morality a little bit. That's not really the right word. I would say as you as you as you gain an understanding of what's important. I would say in life. The things that are most important, like you can't murder someone and you can't sell your body, that's like an absolute thing, okay? That's like an absolute thing that we as a society cannot, we cannot have people going around murdering people. Then there's like strong convictions, I would say. There's like things that you hold dearly, but aren't necessarily, we can maybe disagree on them a little bit, I would say. Like for instance, um... Like for instance, the way that our tax code is structured. Okay, I have a pretty strong. Con- I, we again, we can maybe get into this. I have a pretty strong conviction that the flat tax is the only moral way to tax people. Okay, um, and we we again, we can get into that maybe in another episode or something. But um, that's a pretty strong conviction I hold. But I can still exist in a society with people who disagree with that. Um, then there's like preferences. I would say preferences are like smoking okay 
and this is really where we get into a lot of like policy like really heavy policy differences should you be able to smoke within three feet of the building that's a clear that's that's see what i mean that's like a really that's like a really clear like a really clear well you can make a pretty compelling argument both ways you know what i mean I would tend to say that um, most government restrictions on smoking are, are kind of ridiculous. I would say if someone wants to smoke in the privacy of you know of their own home, or if there's not like a if there's not like a clear warning against smoking, then I would say that generally pe- generally speaking, people should be allowed allowed to smoke. Um, but um, back to the potato chip chip thing, you, that's really in the area of preferences. I would say that's not it's not entirely. It's not entirely clear for everyone that all potato chips are bad at all times. And government is really good about making absolute rules for things because again, they have to be equal. Government has to enforce it like again, this is this gets back to the idea of like consent of the people. If the people are consenting to something, and that's really where government gets its power from, it's from the consent of the governed. Um the government has to apply that everywhere. So and they have to apply it everywhere equally. So if you're going to make a government rule, you should be very careful about how you make it because you're forcing people at the point of a gun to do it, regardless of what you do, because eventually there will be someone to show up on your doorstep with a gun. And this is something that Ben Shapiro emphasizes a lot. So, yes, indeed. Yeah, we like Ben. Um, so, yeah, that's what I would say. I would say that as you get further and further out into the bounds, um, into the sort of bounds of, like, preferences and convictions – then we're really talking then we're then we can really maybe have some have some disagreements as a society but i would say that like things like um that and and our society is starting to break because we are disagreeing on things that are fundamental to human existence we're disagreeing on things like transgender issues like we can't have we can't have people we can't have men going into women's restrooms that would be totally unthinkable i was i'm not old enough to remember when that was totally really unthinkable like you know i'm i'm in my early 20s that is totally crazy throughout all of human history to say that a man could become a woman that would be insane and we can't as a society we have to come it it doesn't matter if you're a democrat or republican we have to we have to come to our senses again and say this is unacceptable you know what i mean yeah that's an absolute a convict uh, a preference would be like the potato chips there's certain contexts where you may not be allowed to eat potato chips for instance in an operating room like you can't eat potato chips while someone's getting surgery you know what i mean um <laughs> dang man tough um surgeons i'm sorry you can't do it yeah <laughs> not gonna happen yeah so but that's a, that's kind of a really long-winded answer to to your question like yeah you should be you should be it should be legal to to eat potato chips but this is something that are that were that i am really bad at you should think about whether your actions are right or wrong before you do them because i would argue that there is always a right answer but because of our finite knowledge most things in life we will never come to a clear-cut answer on because we have finite knowledge about the world we're never going to know everything and by that fact we have to sort of just enjoy living without you know, constantly questioning everything that we're doing. We have to have faith. And that's that's my long-winded answer to potato chips is you should have faith um, and not try to turn to the government to force everyone to not eat potato chips. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I think that is one thing you didn't touch on, but going on to that belief thing is knowing 
you're not doing it out of pure blind belief. You're not just, oh, I think I think this is right, and it seems pretty good. You can actually have a basis for morality. Like we have, as Christians, we have the Bible as um, as our standard for behavior and belief. Is we have God has set the laws in and um, rules for reality, and this is how we're supposed to live. And we can choose not to live by those actions, live by those rules. But if we do, we are going to face consequences that are going to be painful for sure. us. But not also for, not only for us, but also for those around us. Like it talks about mm-hmm. in Scripture how um, uh, your sin will find you out. It doesn't matter who who when you do it, how you do it. If you're hidden in the, in the basement of your house or wherever, or on the yeah. or in the middle of a city, you're going to be found out. And you're getting punished for it. It may not be in this life, mm. but it will be eventually. Well, I but. think that also, like, that's sort of where you may not be found out for the things that you do, um, like right now. But I would say that that that's part of the reason that we can exist as that's that's the point of government is that it punishes people. It's and Paul talks about this is that government is a is a is a powerful sword, and it's a and the the people who break. Um, break those absolute rules that god has put into place should rightfully be fearful of government you know you see this in like these there's a youtube channel that i started watching recently it's called jcs psychology and it's just like basically watching criminals in the interrogation right before they know that they're about to get arrested it's pretty interesting um but they they always they always toward the end get a little bit get a little bit anxious because they know it's, they know that justice is coming. You know, they they know that they've done something wrong. And this is like the little kid that dips her hand in the cookie jar. And, you know, they know that they've done something wrong. They know that they've transgressed something absolute that they weren't supposed to do. Um, but they know that they're going to be caught. And so, yeah, people should be people should be fearful of people should be fearful of government when they do something wrong. However, we should, again, as a conservative, I'm hesitant to use that authority to ban things like plastic straws. Like, why should why should the government, which has the capability to drop an to have an F-15, and you know, probably we as the U.S. we could probably conquer a couple of foreign nations. Why are we using that same power to cram down all of these things, which again may or may not be right, but there's significant significant debate on them it's like healthcare too this is my issue with like government healthcare. why is the government forcing people to accept a certain healthcare benefit plan um and and why are they enforcing employers to implement that you know what i mean yeah and there's also there's also just a lot of stuff that the government is forcing companies to do like adopt abortions like you have to as a company like a lot of large companies now have to they're like mandated by Obamacare and by um, the the ACA to like give people abortions. Like that's just I think that most people would recognize that that's wrong. And the polls reflect that um, when you get further along in pregnancy, people start to support abortion less and less. But according to most like law, um, companies have to give those type of healthcare plans. I don't know. I'm not really sure where I'm going with that, but no. yeah. That's very good. I think it's, it kind of ties to the role of where government should be or what realm should government be allowed to go into. Are they, is it supposed to be in everything, um, anything and everything that it can, the government can regulate, should it regulate? Should it be in healthcare? Should it be in environment? Should it be in education? Should it be in military, trade? Now, there are certain areas I think you definitely need government in because as a, mm-hmm. you'd rather have a national government deal with things like trade yeah. or a thing like 
um, war because in, in an individual level, it's not going to happen. You're just going to be too fractured and there's not enough coherent, um, cohesive um, movement together and unity on certain issues. But there's interesting on the size of government, Patrick, what is your thought on what are the roles of government or what areas would be are the bare minimum that government needs to be in? Um, like I know uh, I forget. Yet I was ta- I was taught in high school somewhat. There's like four major roles. There's trade, trade, war, um, mm-hmm. finances, and na- like national finances, mm-hmm. which would be like currency. Um, what other area do you think they should be or should not be in? Well, it should not be. Soccer. Let me let me start by pulling up here. Let me actually Google this really quick. So I, I have my computer in front of me here for you guys because you guys can't see right now. Here, um, let me see here. What are the federal federal departments? This is a principle you guys can live by. Um, it's always easier to figure out what you shouldn't do rather than what you should do. Okay, so here we go. So we got the we got the federal departments. Here we go. We're gonna go through here and we're gonna eliminate some federal departments. You ready for this, Matthew? Yes, go. You ready? Yes. Okay. So we have the Department of State. We'll keep that. Um, we have to manage our um, we have to manage our relations with foreign countries. Um, Treasury. Uh, we could probably shrink that quite a bit. Um, but yeah, I would generally say keep that. Uh, DOD, yes, but shrink that. Um, DOJ, yes. Interior, eliminate that. Agriculture, no. Commerce, no. Labor, no. Um, HHS, only keep that for infectious diseases, I would say. The federal government does have a role in managing infectious diseases. I would, we can, again, we can maybe get into that some of that later. Housing and urban development, definitely no. Uh, that has actually caused significant harm. Uh, they've destroyed more... They've destroyed vastly more housing complexes than they've actually created, fun fact, um, according to HUD. And you could say, you could argue um, that the, that HUD has, HUD and the project systems that they've, they've used over the last few decades has helped to keep um, minority groups in their lower states oh, rather yeah. than letting them grow and become, um, grow economically and socially. Oh yeah, I mean, without a doubt, like HUD has caused immense harm to to minority communities. But um, transportation, no energy, no education, no um, VA. I think you could probably combine that with DoD, um, but that's also super bloated and not functioning well. Um, Homeland Security, you could also probably roll that into DoD. Um, and yeah, that's that's what I would say. We could probably. We could probably eliminate uh, at least uh, seven, eight departments out of there, though. Easily. <laughs> Easily. That's uh, our federal government is very, very bloated. Um, the role of the government, the federal government, I would say, is um, is really to enforce contract law, um, which you have the tre- you could have the treasury do. Um, I'm a little skeptical of, of printing currency. I'm a little skeptical of how the government does that now. I like the gold standard. Through the federal reserve. Yeah, I'm a little skeptical of how they do that. They could literally, they can literally just print as much money as they want. I don't know. Yeah. It doesn't really, doesn't really sit well with me. Yeah. But kind of on that though, um, so you're not for the government printing its own money. Um, well, I'm or, a little skeptical of it. Like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Like, a better way to do it. I mean, I think that a gold standard is a generally a better way to do it i'm not really sure how we would get back to that now um since nixon kind of screwed us over with that um super popular at the time but yeah bad bad move um 
I, I think that we should probably go back to something like a gold gold or a silver standard. I think you could maybe have an interesting system where you have like a cryptocurrency-backed federal dollar because cryptocurrencies have like, there's like a blockchain to them and there's like sort of a sense to it. So you could maybe have something like that, um, which I think, because again, you could like validate it and all that. I'm not really sure how currency crypto works, but I can maybe see, I can maybe see like a an interesting argument for for like a crypto dollar. Um, but yeah, I'm a little, I'm a little skeptical of how the government does currency now. Just yeah, I, I don't like fiat currency. So, but on that, like fiat currency, would you be opposed to having a national currency where this is? The money. This is the kind of money that everybody needs to use in order to, to operate as a business. Or were you saying? Would you go to even strip that away and be like, "Hey, you could be um, any state could do that." Or, I mean, I like. I, I don't think that uh, the way that we did it before, um, with individual states having um, having like currencies, worked real well. Uh, we we tried that with the Articles of Confederation, and that kind of failed miserably. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think like I like the way that our currency is standardized in the way because it is a it is a really good um, way of exchanging value um, and again it's really hard to define what money is but I like um, I like the way that it holds value um, and I like that the way that the US has exerted its generally Christian morality in the most vague of senses to the rest of the world through the use of its currency um because we can ban like that's essentially what we did with venezuela is we cut off our international relations with them and then we stopped we stopped letting them use the u.s dollar as part of their currency system and it really hurt them they they suffered a lot because of that and you know not that i want suffering but that was a good thing that the venezuelan government wasn't allowed to deal in u.s dollars anyway um, what was I saying? Where was I? On standardization of yeah. currency and the printing of that. So you're saying? Oh yeah, that. the standards. Yeah, I like the standardization piece of it. Um, but I just I don't I don't know that I trust the government to be responsible with my with a national currency, which is again why I sort of support like a more crypto crypto national currency. You could sort of see. Um, El Salvador actually did this, even though El Salvador is kind of ruled by a piece of garbage president. Um, El Salvador made Bitcoin one of their national currencies. And so now, like all U.S. businesses, and this is the point of legal tender, all U.S. businesses are legally obligated to deal in U.S. dollars. So, and, and so like they have to accept it as currency. And so now all businesses in El Salvador have to deal in Bitcoin. They have to have the capability to do it when someone presents them Bitcoin. They have to accept it. So I could see the U.S. or some other countries being like, hey, we're also going to have this, you know, cryptocurrency as a legal currency and then only have like a system where no one can touch it. You know what I mean? Because you can't. That's the point of crypto is like is like no central authority can just print it you know what i mean it has to be individual people now you do see some interesting things with crypto like russian bitcoin miners and china like mining bitcoin like crazy and so they control a large percentage of the world supply but there's no one entity that controls bitcoin you know what i mean anyone can get bitcoin there's no like you can't really manipulate the price of bitcoin super easily um 
so yeah that's what i would say that's what yeah i i like the idea of standardization but you would probably have to have to do something like something like crypto for me to sort of get on board with it so almost it's almost like an individualized um currency where individuals can come up with it and then the government can enforce who how who deals with it exactly yeah 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 yeah, I mean, again, I don't, I, I really don't like the language of force that I sort of have to use for that standardization process. Um, but that's just how stores of value work, and because all businesses are so diverse in their different interests and stuff, if the government didn't enforce, just pragmatically, if the government didn't enforce like that standard across everything, you could really see some problems where like hey lockheed martin is taking euros and you know the exchange rates for that are really crappy right now so um we're gonna go to this different company even though they have an inferior service we're gonna accept them because they accept stuff in a different currency you know what i mean so i think there is a there is a pretty strong argument for like economic standardization even though i don't like how the government would have to like pragmatically make it happen you know what i mean yeah um no, 100% agree. I think yeah. with the danger of having not having not having the situation you were describing where it is um, not in the government's control to con- to regulate those currencies, um, I think we've talked about this in my, many of my economic classes, and you've probably had it with Dr. Heyman and Dr. Wheeler. Yeah, they're um, really great, yeah. The, uh, inab- the, the ability for governments just to say, hey, we're going to print seven trillion dollars and we're going to push into the economy yeah. and we're like we're not going to care about what the results are what the effects are and the, mm-hmm. we're just going to say hey we're going to do this to help the short term and that i think yeah. all government is going to in politics are going to be looking at the short term rather than long term i uh there's a good book called um economics and one lessons one lesson where the author talks about the um all politicians they do just look at the short term hey if yeah, we can yeah. help if we can help one person or one special interest group Let's do that rather than actually seeking to look at what happens with this policy. How is it going to affect people X, yeah. Y, and Z, or how is it going to affect people from down the line, from yeah. one year down, one year to mm-hmm. five years? I have one thing that we want to talk about. I'm going to go to the bathroom so you can maybe riff on this for a second. Um, right. Jim Jordan fires back at uh, White House in Biden document fight. Um, he he just essentially says that Republicans want fair treatment. Um, maybe you could sort of talk about the the sort of rise of, of, of elected politicians using classified documents. You know, we saw this with Trump and sort of saw this with Biden. So I'd be interested to sort of hear your thoughts on um, on, on sort of why why you think elected officials are kind of taking these classified documents home. Yes. Thanks, Patrick. That's a great question. I think that's hard. I don't feel like I'm totally an expert on this area, so don't know the um, exact um, information on every little detail. But I think it's a really interesting um, thing to note that the FBI would go and raid a former president's house because he held classified documents in a secure location, relatively speaking, but they would not go raid a vice former vice president's um, home where it is legal for the president to declassify any documents that he sees fit at the end of his term and then have them in his possession. Now, I think it is imperative that the president does return those documents if it is deemed by i believe it's the national archives and maybe the department of defense or um, justice that those documents be returned but why would you not prosecute both on both sides if one side does it and they get and they get away with it why not let the other side do it or if one side does a commits a crime quote unquote of taking those documents illegally um 
but this another side doesn't and you don't you choose to differentiate who you um charge is not only mind-boggling but also um frustrating because it shows to the american people and to the world that our government is not it's not a fair system it's a double standard if you're one group you can do one thing but if you're another group you cannot do the same exact thing so i think it's a it's an interesting but also um very frustrating issue um i would say both sides if you're going to prosecute prosecute both sides punish both sides for saying hey if you're doing this thing and it's and it's legally um a crime to do such actions you should be punished for that yeah i mean i mean i think it's pretty clear that uh that I, i would say especially in our media coverage at least starting out i think you know it's gotten a little better as you know republicans have and conservatives have rightly called out um, a lot of these media organizations and said, hey, uh, you know, you guys are, you know, freaking out and saying it's like the end of the country if Trump takes, you know, takes some doc- classified documents home and then you guys are basically covering for Biden. You know, I, I think that uh, some of the media coverage has changed um, where, I, you know, I saw a story out of CNN today where, um, let, me, uh, let me actually look up the story here. Um, let me see. Uh that senator's name i forget she was she was basically out there um out there she was a democratic senator she was out there saying that uh that you know it's embarrassing um for for president biden to be um calling out trump and and saying about that all this um but yeah i mean it's it's a it's a real problem because you know dr Heyman sort of wrote on his blog about this a little bit um about how it's classified documents are really a viper um there's there's a lot of there's a lot of serious national security concerns in classified documents now i think that you could maybe look at a model of classifying documents where we don't have so many um there's there's i think if i remember the statistic right out of like the dod (coughs) published a report that said that there's over a million people that have classified like security clearances government security clearances right now there's no need for that um there's no need for a million people to have security clearances. Our security state does not need to be that big. Um, but um, it is frustrating because really, because the people have vested their interest in our politicians to manage our security, because that's, again, that's really what the world government is, is to provide national security for the people. Um, it's frustrating to see those people mishandling and sort of completely botching um, one of the main roles, one of their main roles, and one of the main reasons they were they were elected, I would say. Um, I, I don't like it when Trump does it. Um, it's it's not good that he brought home the documents that he did, especially the volume of documents he did. I mean, he brought home a lot. You know, that, like it was not a small amount of documents that that former President Trump brought to Mar-a-Lago. Um, and, and that's not good. You know, it's not it's not good when you have a former president doing that. But it's also not good when you have when you have President Biden. Um, bringing home documents and just setting them next to his Corvette, and and then you have the media covering for him, and it's only when conservatives basically ha- throw a temper tantrum that you get that you get the media to kind of be like, well, you know, maybe that was a bad thing. Um, that's not helpful. Yeah, and I was listening to a uh, podcast by Ben Shapiro this today, and he was talking about how um, it was in in the how home that Biden was storing those documents was. Um, registered as Hunter Biden's his son's um, household yeah. uh, home, and which he was you know if you partially renting. Google, uh, 
Russia, Russia, Ukraine, like Biden, Russia, Ukraine stuff. It comes up as a conspiracy theory. No way. Yeah, it, it actually does. Yeah, it's it's uh at the cons- like when you Google like the Russia, Ukraine, um, the Russia, Ukraine scandal, it comes up as a with with Burisma. It actually comes up as a conspiracy theory. I'm looking that up right now yeah. as he speaks. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Wikipedia. Um, they, I forget what it was. The Wikipedia. Um, liberal moderators outnumber um, outnumber Republican moderators like by a wide margin. It's something like ten to one. It's pretty crazy. Wow. Yeah, but uh, there's there's like totally like the Russia the Russia. There's like if you Google it, it's like if you Google like Biden. Yeah, Burisma. Uh, yeah. Uh, what? Hang on. If you Google, you got to Google like like Biden Biden Russia. Okay. Biden, Russia. Uh, Biden, Biden, Russia. Yeah, hang on here. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm yeah. gonna give you that for one second. Let me let me t- take a look at this here. Uh, yeah. Hunter Biden, but, Russia. Uh, yeah, I think like Patrick was saying earlier that uh, the media was all inf- um, inflamed about um, Trump having some documents at his home, which you could argue is that illegal or not. I think I'd mentioned it earlier, but. You would not say anything until the right has to out become an outrage over what um, Biden had. Which I think, I think, if you look at the facts themselves, I think Trump had his in a like closet or like safe. Yeah, I'm sorry, it wasn't. I'm sorry, I'm not cut, cutting you off here. It's yeah. a, it's the Biden Ukraine conspiracy theory. A series of false claims were centered on the baseless allegation that while Joe Biden was vice president of the United States, he engaged in corrupt activities. So apparently, that's a conspiracy theory. Now, I, I, I yeah. didn't know that, but oh wow, yeah, apparently that's a that's a new conspiracy theory that someone came up with. Yeah, where Biden has his in a garage by a Corvette. Which, I'm being sarcastic. Also. Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. but it's it's more like. Okay, if you're looking at it, pure security measures, if you have it in a safe in a hotel where you have where the pre- former president of the United States is residing, or you have a home of a former vice president back next to his wor- um, using usable Corvette, seems yeah. like pretty obvious which one's worse security-wise. Mm-hmm. But that could yeah. just be my bias. Um, sticking out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I, again, I haven't read into that. There was some stuff that was saying like Trump's, Trump's classified documents was like, um, uh, freaking. It was like nuclear stuff and like sources and methods. So I'm not really sure if that's, um, that that if that's true anymore. Or if that was just basically a media narrative because there was quite a bit of pushback on that. I'm, I'm not really up to date on, on that. But yeah, it was. Um, it, it's pretty interesting to sort of see the to see the double standard. Um. There's out of all major news networks on um, on the on cable network, the Fox News is generally speaking considered to be the only one that's conservative, and all other major news outlets, including CBS, ABC, CNN, CNBC, NBC, etc., um, they draw around six to ten more eyes per night. Depends on the night. They draw around six to ten more eyes per night than than Fox News does, and they are wildly to the left, um, according to a lot of research out of the Journal for Economic Research. Um, there is a there is a large um, there is there is a large num- they they are wildly to the left, um, even according to objective analyses. Even though it's sort of hard to do objective analyses on those. Um, they are wildly to the left, and Fox News is 
is quite a bit more center uh, centric in its um in, in its in its approach toward news, even though it is does trend conservative due to its history with Rupert Murdoch. Yeah. So, quick question: Do you think that with the media's suppression slash somewhat semi quasi censorship of um media of news and especially like with Biden and his son Hunter Biden, um the scandals yeah. that have arisen, do you think that? that had any effect on the election in 2020 that if the information that we all know now for the most part about his son and his involvement with ukraine or china do you think that if that had been available for the general public and widely spread as a general maybe not be in the news like um constantly but it was available and it was out there and was talked about do you think that would have affected the election to the point that trump would have won or do you think it would have just made it closer I mean, I don't want to speculate like too much here, um, but I mean, it's it's very clear. Um, it's very clear that the that the Biden laptop um, would have definitely changed things. And the 2020 election was a, an election of margin. Trump didn't lose by like a ton. Yeah. He lost. I, I forget what the the final count was, but it was it was on the margin. Like it was it was relatively close. Now. Um, what you saw in the 2020 election was really a referendum on Trump, which I'm not going to totally disagree with. I mean, he's sort of an unpalatable dude for a large per, for a large percentage of the country. Um, but 79% of uh, people who said that who heard about the Hunter Biden laptop um, said that they would have changed their vote in 2020. So I think that you definitely could see you definitely could see something approaching a Trump victory or the election would have been much closer. You would have definitely seen it being much closer. I mean, you know, Hunter Biden, everybody sort of knew that he wasn't a great dude, but I mean, him and his dad are just, there. there's definitely some corruption there. I'm going to be honest with you, I probably prefer the corruption stuff, like the sort of soft corruption of like Hunter Biden is being paid, you know, fifty thousand dollars a month by this company to sort of be on its board of directors even though he's never had anything to do with oil i prefer that over these really fierce like ideological battles even though certainly joe biden is annoying i'm not gonna lie like he's a really annoying guy and he makes our country look terrible um in ways that uh, trump made our country look good and bad on the international stage i would say Biden is just embarrassing. Like when he goes to like Japan, like it's just embarrassing. I mean, he's an old guy. You know, honestly, I feel sorry for him. What were you gonna say? Yeah. Or like to kind of keep on that point on the when he went to the funeral of um, Queen Elizabeth II in England. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was this past year. She was like put in the back row, basically. Yeah. Or yeah. um stuff like that. Yeah. Where it's like where that's why I think Trump was good and that he put us first and it was like, hey, we are. He would say, oh, we're the best country. We're the greatest. Sure, yeah. Put us first. Put our best foot forward. Now, we're not necessarily... Yeah. You necessarily agree on what he did exactly, but he was willing to sacri- He was willing to say, hey, we're, we need to be Sir, front yeah. stage. We well, need to set ourselves up. Well, well, and also what you see with Trump is, like, it is this this real, like, real aggressive American... America first stance. Like, even though... Even if I sort of disagree with maybe some of the nuances of how he got there, you know, sort of, like, intellectually... I definitely agree that the that America should be put first and that its values are very important to um, spread to the rest of the world. Let's say that's that that's a good thing. I would say 
Now the downside is that you have you have his sort of more bombastic nature, um, where he just sort of like goes off like off the chain, and he'll like again like Ben Shapiro once said this he. Trump is like a hammer. He sometimes hits a nail and sometimes he hits a baby. It's like, you know, he he he's like kind of all over the place. And so that's not necessarily good for a lot of like traditional foreign policy relationships like with Europe. Like um it's not necessarily great for for relations over there when you kind of just want someone who's going to be stable and and relatively predictable. Now what I see an, an a potential upside of that is like, well, he got them to pay more for defense spending. You know, he negotiated. He negotiated um, on behalf of of them really um, to meet their previously agreed to NATO targets. Um, and also, he wasn't afraid to use America's military power in its favor. Now, again, you can like or dislike that, but I would say, I would generally speaking say that that's a good thing that we have a president who's not afraid to use our military power in a proactive way. I'm not really a libertarian in that sort of in a sort of foreign policy sense. Um yeah. but back to the back to the corruption thing, um I would rather have the battles over over like, well, this guy did something in the wrong place and it's sort of like soft nepotism over the battle the sort of ideological battles that we were having in the Trump era where we have half of the country thinking that ha- the other half of the country is desperately evil you know what i mean like actually fascistic and wanting to usher in the new third reich you know what i mean like yeah. that's i have a real issue now you could also say that that's like just a consequence of like the left being their true character um but i think that there was something unique about trump to where he brought that out in a lot of people um, where someone like maybe Ron DeSantis or Christy Noam or Mike Pence or someone like that wouldn't necessarily bring out all of those character traits. I'd rather have a little bit of soft corruption than that sort of like hardline ideological stuff. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't know what you sort of think about like all that, but I, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on like that trade-off between like corruption versus like ideological warfare. Yeah. I think we could wrap up probably in like four or three minutes. Yeah, I think I think it's an really interesting point. I I've not really thought about like soft corruption and kind of hard. It's a soft and hard corruption. Um, I think in some ways, I I see your point. How if you have soft corruption, you can you know it's there, but in some ways it's correctable. Where if you have hard corruption and hard line polarization, like we have right now at times, it be a lot harder to change that because yeah. it becomes entrenched in the culture society like you have so many polarizing things you're either this side of this you're not having any in between where if you have soft you kind of have like the swamp you kind of know it's happening and there could be some change yeah. but Which nobody's nobody likes the swamp like no. let's be real here like no democrats and republicans sort of hate the idea that there's this entrenched class of elites in washington that are deciding everything that just sits wrong like with as an american you know it's yeah. kind of wrong we don't like elites dictating everything for our lives but as, as i think most people recognize it's just human nature that there's going to be people who are going to dictate things to other people so it's sort of acceptable i would say yeah because if you in some ways if you try to put a hard line like hey i want no corruption you're not gonna have any, nothing's gonna get done you're not gonna yeah. have anything happen it's just gonna be stalemate right, which in right. some ways can be good because I think that's what the founding fathers designed is, hey, we want to try to make it, the government do as less as, as the less 
the better. Less is more in some ways. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. you can't mm-hmm. have... If you go hardline and be like, okay, I don't want any anything, any corruption, then you're just not going to get... Nothing's going to happen. You're not going to have decisions on, hey, the war in Ukraine should be supporting that, which is a totally different issue we can get on to later. Mm-hmm. Or different areas like um, with COVID, how are you going to act? If you're deciding, hey, we're not... You can't get anything done. You're going to have... You could potentially have millions and millions of people dying mm-hmm. with no action when there should be action mm-hmm. taken. Either if that action is right or wrong, at least there's action taken. But, yeah, exactly. So, like, I, I guess I would ask you, like, what do you think is more important for government? Like, do you think it's more important that governments have, like, act on things? Or do you think it's more important that government sort of... It's, like, sort of that idea of, like, negative freedoms. Like, do you think it's more important for government to do things or for government to sort of not do things? Oh, uh, that's hard. And I think my answer would be nuanced because there's some areas that would be like, yes, they need to act in, and other things would be no. Like, covid is a good example because it's like, hey, should we lock down the entire country in a sense or say, hey, it's better to lock down or say, hey, no one else can come in for now mm-hmm. or do you say, hey, don't do anything at all? Where I think it's hard because I think there's, when there's lives at stake and there's action that almost needs to be taken, I think you'd rather have some rather than not. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't make that a hard line saying, hey, if this happens, there needs to be action. There, there cannot be any action because I think there's more complicated issues that you need. You need to use both. But uh, that's tough, though, because there's certain things I'd definitely be like, no, I don't think the government needs any involvement in. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, the education system, I don't think that government needs to be involved at all. Or marriage, you'd mentioned earlier, True. like gay marriage should not legislate. I agree with him. Yeah. I think um, Ben well, I think we would also maybe agree that that homosexual relationships, by definition, um, cannot be married marriages. Um, those are those are um, I don't even know what to call it. Like, I guess they're a civil union because it's a union between two individuals, but I would also hesitate to call it civil because what you're really doing is you're engaging in rebellion against God. Yeah. So I hesitate to even call it a civil union. It's a, it's a union that is civil in the sense that it is recognized by an authority which is civil in nature, but it is not. I, I would not say that it is marriage. I would, I would even hesitate to call it that, but I'm not, I'm not trying to, like, correct you or anything. I'm no, just, no, no, yeah. No, um, I agree. I think um, I think it kind of goes back to, as we wrap up, it kind of goes back to what we talked about the role of government is we think there's hard, there's things that government should be in and should not be in. I yeah. think if you have, as of today, right now, there's some things where you just like have the government has to step in just because the states won't, or on the local level, it's just not going to happen. Even yeah. though you don't necessarily want it to happen, it's going to happen regardless. So mm-hmm. I think there's some things where I'm like, I'm okay with it for now because that's how our system is set up. Yeah. Even though in the future, and if I were in control, I would change it so that they'd be in less of it. Yeah. But, yeah. Any final thoughts? As we wrap up. I don't think so. No. Thanks right. for thanks for having us. I'm excited to do this in the future. This this was fun. Yeah. Enjoy this. Yeah. Well, thank you, Patrick. Um, thank you for uh, thank you for, to our listeners. We appreciate you guys uh, listening to us, and uh, we hope you guys will continue to tune in. Appreciate it, guys. Have a good night. Thank you all so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of The Cap Show, feel free to give us a follow on Apple's podcast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any questions for us or topics that you think we should be discussing, shoot us an email. Our email address will be linked in our bio. Also, for more updates on upcoming episodes or guests and so much more, you can find us on social media. Our handles will be linked down below with our email address. Finally, if you have any critiques or advice on anything regarding the show, we'd love to hear it. Have a great day.